Good evening. I'm Joseph Martinez, and welcome to Dead Time Stories, a podcast by Graveyard Shift, dedicated to telling just that. Short, scary stories submitted by real people. Whether the stories are real or not, who knows? But they are scary. Tonight, our host, Deadhead, shares with you six tales where things seem a bit out of place. Now, please forgive me. I can take you no further. But your stories lie just ahead. Simply take that elevator to the top floor of the hotel. There you'll find a room with a key in the door. Inside, your host awaits. Do be careful, though. Deadhead can be unprincipled. I'll wait for you here. Godspeed. delicious ears once again. Tonight, I have summoned six strange stories about things out of place. Our first tale follows a foodie with a taste for the bizarre. I call this one Special Sauce. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. I'd been meaning to try this place for a while. It was this tiny Mexican joint tucked away on the side street, right between a tattoo parlor and a brick apartment building that always had some dude hanging out the window. I'd found this place the way that everyone else finds things, on social media. It had a surprising amount of positive reviews, especially from locals, and the occasional mention of food poisoning, like the one-star fuck this place I'm never eating there again kind of review. But I had to be brave and try it out for myself because that's what a food writer does. The inside looked like no one had ever attempted to decorate this place, or clean it for that matter, but it really smelled good. A lone patron eyeballed me from the corner table as I made my way to the counter where he ordered and pick up food. He broke his gaze, shifted in his plastic chair, and went back to staring at his meal. The menu on the wall was as simple as could be. A chalkboard simply read tacos two bucks and burritos five bucks. Perfect. I wouldn't have to order $100 worth of food to sample the menu and tell my readers what's best or force myself to eat too much. Running a food blog sounds like a lot of fun, but there's plenty of downside. The biggest thing is that it's really hard to eat healthy and keep my weight down. <laughs> if my readers knew how much cardio I did for them, the woman at the counter finally noticed me and asked me what I wanted. I told her I wanted tacos, one with each meat that they offered and the best burrito they could wrap. I paid, she handed me a tiny paper ticket, and I made my way to the closest table. Once I sat down, I got my little writer's kit set up, whipped out my notebook with my favorite pen, grabbed my camera with a nice prime lens on it, and set down a small voice recorder. I like to make physical notes, but once I start eating something messy like this, it's easier just to talk to myself while I chew. 
The table itself was flimsy, and all it had on it was some napkin dispenser and some kind of sauce, which I assumed to be the house salsa. As I got settled in, I noticed that dude in the corner looking at me again. He had a bunch of delicious food in front of him, but for whatever reason, I was more interesting. He looked away once more, got up, dumped his untouched food in the trash, and left. Guess he didn't like me. And just like that, my food was ready. I was starving. The sizzling meat smelled great, and I could just tell just looking at the burrito is wrapped with a fresh tortilla fried up with lard. Oh, mama. It tasted even better than it smelled. It was perfectly spiced, cooked to perfection, and the tortillas, god damn the tortillas, just bury me in those, please. Thank you. But the best was yet to come. That dinky container of salsa on the table was just more in salsa. It was some kind of tangy, sweet spice sauce that was just, it just popped. The aroma was out of this world incredible. I never felt my mouth water that much. I dumped gobs of it in my food, increasing the amount every time I squeezed. My god, I was swimming in it. What was this stuff? I finally realized why people love this dirty taco stand so much. The sauce elevated this place so much from pretty good Mexican food to holy shit, I could eat this every day. I could just squirt the sauce directly into my mouth. I mean, I could not believe nobody online had mentioned it. Wait, why hadn't anyone mentioned the sauce? If it was so good, you'd think the laziest of online reviewers would say something about it. What, was this new? Or was I just so hungry that everything tasted better right now? The smell alone was so unique, I, I couldn't even begin to identify it. Whatever the case, I wanted to know what it was. I needed to know. I brought the container of sauce up to the woman at the counter and asked her if she was willing to give me a clue about their secret recipe. She just stared at me. I asked again, but she cut me off and said she had no idea what I was talking about. So I asked if the chef could tell me, and she stopped me again. That's not ours, she said. We didn't make that. That's when it hit me. This was the only sauce bottle in the whole restaurant. I'd eaten so much of it, too. And now my only concern was not only what was in it, but where did it come from? I left the bottle at the restaurant and headed home, sick to my stomach. As I walked home, I tried to convince myself that the sauce had just been someone's homemade concoction they brought in and forgot. But as I reached my block, the margaritas I had really started to hit me. I started to sway and turn into more of like a shuffle. You know, tequila does that to me, but wait, I never had margaritas. Why do I feel so out of it? Something was wrong. As soon as I got inside, I crashed on my bed. I felt like I was going to pass out. It's just food poisoning, I told myself. My stomach was churning, and I thought I was going to have to go to the bathroom to make myself throw up, but I was out cold before I could even finish the thought. That night, I had terrible nightmares. I, I dreamt that someone or something came to my apartment. It held me down and bit into my skin. I couldn't move. I couldn't scream. I couldn't even feel anything, but I could see it. Through a haze, I could see its eyes staring at me as it chewed the skin on my stomach and licked my blood. I could hear it slurp and swallow as the tears streamed down my motionless face. Worst of all, I could smell everything. The creature stank, but I could smell my own blood too. It smelled... It smelled like the sauce. It, it was also really vivid. Then I woke up. My stomach still hurt, but the worst of it seemed to be over. No vomiting, no diarrhea, just some serious stomach cramps, and I was just totally exhausted. I felt like I'd just run a marathon, and you know, this stuff happens, I guess. It's part of the job. But that, without a doubt, was the most bizarre bout of food poisoning I've ever had. I don't think I'll ever forget that little taco stand, and I'm never going back.
<laughs> Sounds like Liam got a gut gremlin he couldn't handle. Let's get a handle on this next break so we can get to our next story. Mother's Day can be a pain in the neck for some, but for Brian, that will be the least of his pain. Here is Shard. I'd been shopping for a Mother's Day gift all day. Went to the mall, stopped by a craft store, even hit a couple thrift shops. It was exhausting. I was about to call it and just buy her a gift card when I spotted a tiny antique store near the place I usually got my car's oil changed. Maybe something new wasn't the right approach. If one man's trash is another man's treasure, this place was filled with someone else's treasure. Rickety furniture, dusty books, scratched records, and mountains of old toys that belonged on the set of a creepy movie. I always wondered how places like this stayed in business. I was about to leave when my eyes caught the light off a shiny surface somewhere in the back of the shop. An enamel vase poked out of some other knickknacks tucked away in the corner. It was simple but alluring. Something about its shape made me feel comfortable. Like a song I loved when I was a kid but hadn't heard in ages. I felt a big smile creep across my face. This was it. Mom would love it. I asked the older woman at the register how much the vase cost, but she just stared at it wide-eyed for a few moments. Finally, she cleared her throat and snatched the vase out of my hands. I thought maybe she was mad that I'd touched the vase without asking, but she simply said, I don't know how that got there. She apologized and told me that the vase wasn't for sale and that it wasn't even supposed to be on display. You don't want this vase, she said. But at that point, I wasn't going to leave empty-handed. The vase was the perfect gift. I wanted it, and it felt like the vase wanted me too. This was meant to be. With a little haggling... Well, by haggling, I mean me throwing money at this old lady. The vase was finally mine. I guess that's how they stay in business. She rang me up, her face showing an odd mixture of concern and undeniable relief, then told me to be extra careful with it. It's a strange piece, she said. If there are any problems with it, come back and see me. I promised I would, and I was on my way. As soon as I got home... I broke out the wrapping paper and ribbon. It was all Christmas-themed, but I didn't have anything else. Did they even make Mother's Day-themed wrapping paper? Whatever. Mom wouldn't care. She'd see the vase, and her eyes would widen as tears of happiness would creep down her cheeks. This time, I'd finally do it right. I'd be a good son. I lifted the vase carefully, and as I slipped some paper underneath it, there it went. Rolled right out of my hands, like it had a mind of its own, before it shattered on the hardwood floor into a million tiny pieces. I cried out, not in rage, but in sadness. I got down on my hands and knees and tried scooping up the pieces, thinking I could put it back together. But there was no way. It was gone. Somehow, I'd managed to screw this up. So much for being the good son. I got a broom and swept it all up then dumped the most expensive gift I'd ever purchased in the trash. Later that night, and a bottle of wine in, I went into the kitchen to either get some water or another bottle I hadn't decided yet. But before I could choose, 
I stepped on something, something sharp and painful. A fiery sting shot up from the pad of my foot through my leg and up into my head. I toppled over onto the floor and howled and cursed. Holy hell, I'd never felt such agony. I pulled myself up using the counter and hobbled over to the light switch. My foot was bleeding everywhere. I got some paper towels and tried to stop the bleeding. What the hell was that? Was it a bite? It felt like a rusty nail shooting through my bones. No, it was the vase. It had to be a piece that I missed. Of course it was. I couldn't find it on the floor, so I checked my foot. Still nothing. I sat down and looked at my wound closely. Was it inside? The blood was still flowing and I didn't want to make it worse, so I gave up on digging through my flesh and decided to leave it be. The body would heal itself and push it out, right? Yeah. I knocked back some pills, wrapped a bandage around my foot, and put on some extra socks to soak up the excess blood. Before I knew it, the combination of wine and painkillers put me to sleep right on the couch. That night I dreamt I was back in the antique store. I just stood there amongst the trinkets and old woodwork. Nothing happened. The old woman sat at her register reading the newspaper, and I just watched and waited and waited and waited. The next morning, I awoke with pain in my foot and pain in my ankle. The pain in my foot was dull and sore, as you'd expect from a tender cut trying to heal itself shut, but the pain in my ankle was sharp, intense. It throbbed with the beat of my heart, each one stinging worse. But there was no time to wallow. I had to be at Mother's Day brunch soon. I knocked back a few more pills to ease the pain and left to meet my family, empty-handed. Brunch went how I expected. I told my mom about the vase and how she would have loved it. My dad didn't believe me and shook his head. My mom smiled and gave me a long thank you hug anyway. I tried to enjoy my meal, but the pain in my leg was getting worse. The throbbing had moved up higher, near the bottom of my calf, and the painkillers barely seemed to be doing anything to help. It was so bad I excused myself from brunch early, much to the satisfaction of my dad, and went home to lie down. By the time I hit the couch, the pain was at my knee. What the hell was happening to me? Had that shard from the vase struck a nerve or something? I yanked off my socks and ripped off the bandages to check my wound. The blood was dried and my foot had started to scab over. I have to take it out, I thought, so I grabbed some tweezers and reopened the wound. But ten minutes of digging around in my own skin turned up nothing. If there was nothing in there, then why did my leg hurt so bad? I knocked back some more pills, swigged a bottle of whiskey, and tried to sleep it off. But there was no sleep to be had. I tossed and turned as the throbbing pain crawled its way up from my knee into my stomach. This wasn't a nerve. Something was inside me. And it was moving. Faster than before. Now that it was in my abdomen, I could feel every little movement more accurately, like a tiny beetle digging its way through my insides. Was it the piece of vase? How could it be? Maybe it had entered a vein and was slowly moving toward my heart like a blood clot? Worse still, I, I was starting to lose feeling in my leg. Something was very wrong and I needed a doctor. 
soon. I raced to the hospital, gripping my chest. I could feel it moving up from my stomach towards my sternum. I tried to control my breathing, taking deep breaths to stay calm, but each one hurt, so they just got shallower. I'm going to die, I told myself. This is how I die. I pulled into the lot and hobbled to the emergency room. By some sort of miracle, I barely had to wait. Maybe it had something to do with my screams of pain. After several tests, x-rays, and scans, the doctors found nothing. Nothing. There was nothing wrong with me, he said, but I could still feel it. It was almost in my throat now, and the pain was still getting worse. I begged the doctor to look again, but my blood test convinced him I was just trying to score more painkillers. I was discharged, yet I'd never felt worse. Almost my entire lower body had gone numb, and I wasn't convinced I'd make it through the night. Somehow a vase was going to be my demise. A vase. The vase. Maybe that's it. The old lady at the antique store knew it was strange somehow. Maybe she could help. Maybe she could stop this agony. A death-defying drive later, I was at the antique store again. I threw open the door and screamed for her. A couple who were inside got spooked and scurried out. Finally, the old lady returned. She took one look at my face and the way I held my neck and said, How far along are you? Before guiding me toward the back of the room, I let out a sigh of relief. She was going to help me. I was finally saved. But there wasn't anything back there that looked like it would help. It was just a room filled with more pottery. Hold still, she told me. She said I should think calm thoughts and take deep breaths, so I tried. She asked where it was, and I pointed where my neck met the base of my skull. Then she asked if I felt numb, and I said I did, almost everywhere. She smiled and told me it was almost over. It was happening. I could feel it moving into my brain. My limbs stiffened. My entire body got cold. I was completely numb. Then I felt each and every one of my bones shatter, pop, 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 as I shrank and folded, slowly getting smaller and smaller. I wanted to scream again, but I had no air. I had no mouth. I had no anything. I was becoming tighter and tighter, slicker and shinier, smoother and harder. The old lady picked me up and walked me out into the store. Then she tucked me away in the corner, somewhere in the back of the shop. See, cadavers? Some people just need to be put in their place. I'll place a break here, and then we'll get back to the scary stories. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite gripping investigations ad-free? Good news! With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash ad-free true crime. That's amazon.com slash ad-free true crime to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms. And... 
producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Comfy cadavers? Excellent. Our next tale is about the little things we find creeping around in our sofa. I call this tale Loose Change and Crumbs. I hated this part. I wiggled myself deeper into the couch cushions and gripped my blanket tightly, nearly tipping over my bowl of unbuttered popcorn. Why had I chosen tonight of all nights to watch a scary movie was beyond me. But here I was. My roommate tomorrow was out, probably sucking face with Mr. Swiped Right, and the rain's constant tapping was teasing me every chance it could. Uh, the same jump scares get me every time, no matter how many times I've seen the movie. I couldn't help but feel embarrassed even if I was all alone. And it only got scarier from there. I thought about burying my face in the couch's corduroy like a scared cartoon ostrich, but I pulled back instantly. The couch had a unique odor. It wasn't so bad that a couple of college students like us weren't willing to put up with it, but it wasn't pleasant to smell. Hey, that's what you get with a free couch, right? When we had found the couch last week, it was sitting on a curb as a sacrifice to the trash gods. Tamara immediately suggested we snatch it up before it gets dragged off to the dump. It would save us both some serious money and a trip through the bowels of Ikea. Besides, it was way bigger and nicer than anything we could afford anyway. I gave it a quick inspection and surprisingly the couch was completely intact. The stains were minimal and it looked like it might even have a fold-out bed. Tamara looked at me with raised eyebrows. Come on, Amy, she said. We have to take this. I'm such a pushover. We paid a few of our muscly neighbors with beer and flirtatious banter. And just like that, we had a new couch. Well, new to us. Our little apartment near campus finally started to feel like a home. That night, we sat on our prize and got drunk on cheap vodka and strawberry seltzer laughing into the night. We'd gone from roommates to friends. At least, that's what I thought. Ever since that night, Tamara had been acting strange. She gets up late at night and makes noises out in the living room, like she's moving the furniture out there. And she eats my food without asking, and she never replaces anything. And she's even been going through my clothes and makeup. Some of my things are missing, and I never see her wearing any of it out. I just don't understand. Still, she's way better than my last roommate, Zoe. She was the absolute worst. She never cleaned, never paid rent on time, and freaked the fuck out when I said I was moving. You really shouldn't be friends with the people you live with. Especially when they're never around. Maybe I should find a guy too, I thought. My own Mr. Swipe Right. A little action would take my mind off of this crap and get me out of the apartment every once in a while. Anyway, back to the movie. I reached for my phone without taking my eyes off the screen, but it wasn't there. All I could feel was the fuzzy fleece of my blanket and the crusty corduroy of the couch. Where'd I put it? I set the popcorn on the table, then whipped the blanket up into the air in hopes that my phone would come tumbling out. No luck. All that flew out were a few kernels of popcorn and my roommate's vape pen. Had I left it in another room, maybe? No, that couldn't be. I had just received a safety text from tomorrow on her date a little bit ago, and I hadn't gotten up since then. 
It had to be somewhere nearby. The couch! Duh! It must have fallen between the cracks. I reached my hand in between the cushions and began to spelunk the couch's innards. This was uncharted territory. We hadn't really done much with the couch since we brought it up. Like, basically nothing. We talked about getting it steam cleaned and whatnot, but we never really followed through. I could feel some loose change, some crumbs, ugh. A bobby pin, what felt like a pen or a pencil, a hand. I froze. Only for a moment, but a moment too long. The hand's bony fingers wrapped themselves around my wrist and gripped tightly. I screamed and yelled out for help, but the hand jerked me down hard. My face got pulled into the cushions and my screams were absorbed by the couch's dank foam. As I tried to breathe, I couldn't avoid taking in the couch's rank odor. It smelled like feces, like piss, like body odor. Tears filled my eyes, then soaked into the couch's fabric, making the odor even worse. I pulled back as hard as I could, trying to catch my breath, but the harder I struggled, the further the hand seemed to pull me in. In desperation, I brought my knees up to my chest and kicked out against the couch, pushing as hard as I could. I could finally breathe again, but I could also see the hand now. Dirty skin and long, stained fingernails. I screamed out again, and it let me go. I flew back and smashed my head against the TV. The pain swelled from the back of my skull and shot down my neck. My face felt numb. I could barely move. But I could see the couch. The cushions shifted and were slowly pushed away. The hide-a-bed, I thought. We never opened it. Before I could get on my feet, someone crawled out from inside the couch. A woman, dirty and soaked in her own piss and shit. She had on my clothes, and a familiar shade of lipstick framed her disturbing smile. She looked like someone. Hey, Rumi, she said. Remember me? My vision finally cleared as the sharp pain in my head turned into a deep, throbbing ache. It was Zoe. I wanted to scream to call the police to run away, but I was frozen in shock. She approached me slowly, then planted a kiss on my forehead. She leaned in and whispered, thanks for letting me crash with you, before walking out of the apartment like nothing had happened. I called the police the moment she left and the ambulance came and checked me out. Tamara rushed home to me too. She thought I was the one that was making the noise at night. I guess we were both wrong. We got rid of the couch the next day and decided to buy something new together, as friends. As for Zoe, they never found her. But sometimes... I think I see her following me from a distance. Always wearing my clothes. I guess one woman's trash is another woman's terror. (laughs) Here's a quick break so you can inspect your seating arrangement. Ever find yourself alone in a strange home? Billy in our next story does. 
and it leads him down an irreversible path in a tale I call Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. I'm still hearing it, I whispered to the AD. He leaned over to the director and she let out cut in the most annoyed way possible. The director walked over to me and asked what I was hearing now. Clearly this was my fault somehow. The same thing as before, I told her. A weird scratching sound that the mic had been picking up for the last couple of shoot days. That's the trouble with shooting on location. You never know what kinds of variables will make production a hassle. Even a huge mansion off the beaten path in Malibu can still have quirks that make shooting there ten times harder than shooting on a soundstage. The director asked if it was subtle enough that we could edit around it, and I shrugged as I handed her the headphones. She listened for about five seconds before ripping them off, cursing as she stormed away. Yeah, this was my fault. I couldn't blame her. We were all working crazy long shifts for weeks now, and it was starting to eat at us all. Later on that night, after our director finally called it a day, everyone cleared out of the mansion and started to head home. But I just sat in my car and waited. I was planning to spend the night in the mansion because I couldn't go home. My wife, well, soon-to-be ex-wife, was there, and I just couldn't stand my daughter Penelope seeing us fight. Always the same thing. My ex said I worked too much, and I would say this is how it goes in this industry. It was fine. I'd just wait for people to leave the house, then I'd grab my sleeping bag and squeeze in through a back door I left propped open. If I got caught, I'd definitely be fired. But, hey, this place costs us $10,000 a day to shoot in. Might as well get some use out of it. Amazing bathrooms, nice TVs, an infinity pool, not too shabby. Guess the place belonged to some movie star who was too busy to enjoy it. Whatever, I was getting tired of motel rooms. My phone rang. Penelope. She kept using her mom's phone to call me, begging for me to come home. I want to see you, Daddy, she'd say. I had to keep telling her no. I hated telling her no. As soon as everyone was out, I slipped in. No problem. I grabbed whatever was left of the crafty in the kitchen and settled in on the couch. The beds looked nice, but I wasn't going to wash sheets and all that before crew arrived early in the next morning. And I was no stranger to the couch. On TV, I watched a cartoon my daughter liked. It was a bit old for her, I thought, but I wasn't going to stop her. She'd have to learn about the world eventually. If she had questions, I'd answer them. Well, if I ever got the chance. As I watched, gradually approaching sleep, I started to hear something. Was the satellite signal getting garbled? I changed the channel to a cooking competition, but I could still hear it. Then I turned off the TV. That's scratching. It sounded like the scratching I was catching with the mic the last couple of days. Where was it coming from? I decided I'd go looking for the cause of this nuisance once and for all. I was bored, it would take my mind off my daughter, and it would certainly save me some trouble during the shoot, so why not? I geared up and started wandering around the mansion, hoping to find the source. I scoured the place, listening quietly in room after room, waiting to hear it again, but nothing came. I took off my headphones into feet. What was I missing? Was it a busted AC unit? Maybe a fridge on its last legs? No, it didn't sound mechanical. It sounded... There it was again. Chaotic, urgent, desperate. It sounded alive. I put my headphones back on and followed the sound. It got louder and louder until I followed it into an empty room. There. It was coming from in there. The room was small, especially compared to the rest of the house. A 
pointed my mic around the room, searching for the sound's epicenter until finally I landed on the far end of the room. Whatever the sound was, it was coming from behind the wall. Something was there struggling. I took my headphones off and pressed my ear against the plaster and my head shot back. Was that a voice? The scratching got louder and louder. Concerned, I brought my ear back to the wall. I fell to the floor. Penelope? Was that her? What was she doing there? Why was she in the wall? No. No, it couldn't be. I I was losing my senses. I was overworked and tired. I was stressed and depressed, but I wasn't hearing my daughter. No. Impossible. I got back up and started to leave, but before I could get the door shut, Penelope, she was in there. She was in the wall and I needed to get her out. I rushed back to the set and looked for anything useful. I spotted a claw hammer and sprinted back to the empty room with it. Look out, Penelope, I shouted. Stand aside, Daddy's coming. I smashed at the wall repeatedly, breaking through the plaster with ease. There were no studs, no insulation, and no Penelope. No, what I found on the other side of the wall was a staircase that led down into darkness. Had she gone down? My baby. Penelope! I shouted down. Without another moment of hesitation, I kicked down some more plaster, pushed through the hole, and started to descend the staircase. What was this, I wondered? A basement? Maybe a wine cellar that had been converted into something else? Perhaps they no longer needed the entryway upstairs, so they converted it into another potential guest room. But as I descended, the answer became none of the above. The darkness consumed me as the wooden stairs turned to carved stone, and the ceiling went from smooth plaster to small stalactites. Someone moved ahead, and I picked up my pace. I called out to Penelope again, but there was no answer. I pulled my phone to shine some light in front of me and quickly realized the immense size of the room I'd rushed down into. Before me was a massive cave filled with old wooden pews and a stone altar. I called out Penelope's name once more, but there was still no answer. Of course there was no answer. There was no one there. How could she possibly be in here, I thought. Not only was I starting to think I'd lost my mind, but I began to feel sick to my stomach. The air was thick and a ripe stench crept up my nose. I scanned the room once more with my phone's light before leaving, just to be certain no one was around. Then my eyes caught the altar again. It was caked in a thick, dark sludge. When I got closer, I noticed the layers upon layers of dried trails down its sides, suggesting years and years of trickling blood. Despite its gruesome appearance, I couldn't help but stare. I got lost in its grooves, its cracks, its ancient allure. Time seemed to stop. How long had I been there? I shook my head. I shouldn't be here, I finally said aloud. Then I heard them behind me, waiting as if they'd been there all along. You're exactly where you're supposed to be, said a voice. I turned slowly and the pews were now filled with people, black robes, black hoods, and one standing down the aisle holding a large golden dagger. I was in a daze. I couldn't move, 
I couldn't focus. The one with the dagger explained that my sacrifice would be worthwhile, that their master's success would continue for years to come because of people like me. He raised the dagger. I closed my eyes, and all I could think about was Penelope's laugh. I've always admired those who make sacrifices for their art. Well done, Billy. Let's sacrifice a few moments while we take this next break. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Desperate for another story, cadavers? <laughs> well, our next tale is about a writer who's desperate for a big break, then gets exactly what he wished for in the con. I'd always hated meet and greet functions. A bunch of wannabe writers trying to network with established folks who might be able to give them a leg up in the business. But there are never any diamonds in the rough there. It's always just rough. Established writers have no reason to attend events like that. So it ends up just being a bunch of jack wagons poking around and tooting each other's horns in hopes that someone will finally give them the opportunity of their dreams. It's pathetic. But hey, I get it. I'm one of them. I don't care if it takes a hundred of these things. I'm determined to find a mentor or a manager who will finally get me to the next level in my career. It's a goddamn war out there war of attrition. And hey, it's something to do at night when you're checking out a con. As I sipped my gin and tonic, I noticed a well-dressed guy standing alone at the bar. Didn't have a phone out or anything, so I asked him how his night was going. It's going, he said, asking me what I did. I told him I was a writer. He seemed interested. Then asked me what I'd written. I listed off a bunch of stuff I hadn't quite finished. A couple books, a few screenplays, a TV show pitch that was about 90% there. I told him I was ready to buckle down and finish any one of these projects, the drop of a hat, but just needed some guidance. I needed someone to point me in the right direction, show me the way, and I'll march. All I really care about is showing the world my work, I told him. To my surprise, he liked me. He liked the whole package, said all the ideas sounded unique, and handed me his card. Hallelujah! He was a manager. My prayers to the words with gods had finally been answered. I held my hand out to shake, but he declined, saying that he didn't do that for personal reasons. Probably a germ freak. 
I didn't push for clarification. I was just thrilled to be noticed for a change. Later that night, I stumbled into my overpriced convention hotel room drunk. After my minor brush with success, I had celebrated a bit too hard. But I couldn't help myself. I felt so validated. I felt unstoppable. I felt tired. The gin took over, and I must have fallen asleep in my clothes. I woke up to a phone call from a blocked number. It didn't answer. I thought it was probably a robocall. But before I could turn over and go back to sleep, it rang again. This time, my phone actually identified the caller. In my hungover haze, I saw the letters MGMT, and I immediately answered. It was the guy from the night before, the lit manager. I realized I didn't know his name and flopped around looking for his card while trying to stall. Hey, buddy, I muttered. Where the hell did I put that thing? When I finally snagged the card out of my blazer, I noticed there was no name on the card either. Just MGMT and a phone number. At that point, I realized I'd never given the guy my contact info. I don't have cards. I used to, but my box ran out and I never ordered new ones. No nibbles, so I felt like it was a waste. So how did he get my number? Maybe I called last night before I passed out? Or the voice on the line interrupted my thought process to see if I was still there. I apologized and said good morning and asked what I could do for him. The guy said he was willing to represent my work and asked if I could sign with him immediately. Now? I asked. Yes, now. A couple hours later, I was meeting the guy at a nice restaurant to sign some contracts. We were straight to business, and with a few quick scribbles, I was finally repped. It felt good. It felt really, really good. Then his phone rang. He said it was an emergency and he had to bolt told me to order anything I liked and that it would already be taken care of. He'd reach out to me sometime soon. Fantastic. I had some victory pancakes and coffee, and then I strolled towards the suffocating crowds of the convention center. As I meandered around the floor, I thought about my future. Someday, I'll have a table here. Someday, I'd be giving talks to crowded halls. A smile forced its way onto my face. I wondered what my new manager would want me to work on first. A book? A script? Comics would even be amazing. Maybe I'd start with a story about... about... For some reason, I couldn't think of the book I'd started. Weird. I'd cranked out 50,000 words already, but I couldn't think of the title. Or what it was even about. What the hell's the matter with me? I took out my phone and checked my notes. Nothing. No book notes, no, no script notes, no story ideas, no notes whatsoever. Where'd they go? Why couldn't I remember anything? All my ideas just... gone. I panicked and started pushing my way through the crowd. I needed to get some air, maybe some water. Yeah, that that was it. I was just dehydrated. I needed to relax for a minute. But the more I tried to recall my work, the less I could grasp. Had I ever even written anything? Had I really had good ideas? Or had I just gotten so good at talking out my ass that I'd even convinced my do-nothing self that I was the next big writer? In my hysteria, I plowed into a merch table rack. I'm, I'm so sorry, I shouted. The man running the stand helped me up and asked if I was all right. His voice sounded familiar, but I didn't recognize him. I apologized again, but he stopped me, told me everything was fine as I helped him pick up the books and DVDs. And then I paused. The book in my hand looked familiar as well, especially the title. I flipped it over and read the back. That's my latest, the nice man said. It's the start of a trilogy about a young man who... No! I shouted at him. It hit me like a ton of bricks. The book in my hand, his book was my book. I remembered again, my stories. I had stories to tell, and this was one of them. Where did you get this? I asked him. He stared at me confused. 
Uh, I wrote it, he said, before deciding to talk to some other convention attendees. I took a closer look at the rest of the merchandise on the table. It all looked familiar. The movies that had been made, the comics that had been published, the epic book trilogy that had debuted at the bestseller list, everything that I'd ever thought about making, already made. I ran outside and paced, wondering what the hell was happening. Did they steal my ideas? How could that be? Everything from my creative to-do list published and produced overnight. No, not possible. Was I crazy? Did I actually come up with this stuff or did I just believe I did? I decided to call my new manager to break the bad news and try and explain myself. But his number wasn't even in my phone, not even in the recent call list. I frantically searched my pocket for his card, but I couldn't find that either. Was he a figment of my imagination too? Maybe I really was crazy. I spent the rest of the day at the hotel bar trying to sort out what had happened. By my eighth drink, I'd come to terms with my overactive imagination. I'd go home after the con, see a doctor, probably go to a therapist too. So much for my dreams, I thought. After my ninth drink, the bartender finally cut me off. So I decided to retire to my room. And there he was, my manager, looking out on the city. Hey, I shouted at him across the bar. Everyone stared, but I was too drunk to care. They took my ideas, I said. He turned to me with a smile and simply said, yes. I asked him what was going on, but he talked around the subject. Of course, I understood. He was the one who did it. He took my ideas from me. I was nobody before, but I had somehow stooped even lower, and it was his fault. I screamed and cursed. He just kept smiling, and then he leaned in and whispered, Hey, you wanted the world to see your work, didn't you? My eyes widened and my anger exploded from within. I charged at him and reached for his neck, but I grabbed nothing. My hands passed straight through him, and so did the rest of me. I didn't scream as I fell. I wasn't even scared. All I could think about was... At least people liked my work. Glad Drake's debut made a splash. Let's take a break while I mop up the mark Drake left on the world. Tell me, cadavers, who doesn't love lounging in a luxurious hotel room? But the woman in our next tale may have overstayed her welcome in wonderful time for a bath. What a wonderful time for a bath. As I step into the bathroom, the tile looks cold, lonely. I reluctantly extend my foot, expecting a shock, but it never comes. Now the other foot, nothing. Perhaps just the thought of my hot bath is warming me already. The hotel's aged floorboards moan in the hushed light with every step I take. In a comfortable flourish, I drop my robe. There you are, floor. Meet robe. You're not alone anymore. 
I'd love to stay and chat with you both, tell you all about my day, but I barely care to remember it myself. And I'm after the embracing comfort only a tub filled with steaming water can provide. Excitement overcomes me, and I feel the energy rush from the bottom of my toes to the tips of my breasts as I glide toward that almighty basin. As I cross the room, I notice the intricate moldings where the wall meets the ceiling. This old hotel is peculiar in the way it looks, from the massive reception lobby to the long, winding hallways you could easily get lost in on the way back to your room from the lounge. And don't get me started on the elevator that groans like it's your last ride every time. They say the place is haunted, or at least some of the rooms are, but I'm not sure if they say that because it's old or simply because of those peculiarities. Like the building knows something it wish it didn't. Either way, the stories don't frighten me. The only thing that could scare me right now is if my bath is already cold. I stick my hand in. Perfect. Without wasting another moment, I start to lower myself into the tub, slowly, savoring every warming inch as I sink down. Hmm. Oh yes. This is where I belong. Forever and ever, no matter what some ghost story says. I rub my hands along my body as it adjusts to its new, far more pleasant environment. Tingles of relief attack me from every angle. I dip my head under the water for a moment, and I quickly come back out. Was that my door? No. It, it couldn't be. No. Absolutely not. Get a hold of yourself. It was probably just the room next door. Maybe the room above. The bones of this building don't make for quiet neighbors. Damn it. All this thinking about ghosts has me on edge. The last thing I need when trying to relax in a hot bath. I've been staying here for a while now, and not once has anything out of the ordinary happened. No mysterious winds, no bumps in the night, and no ominous weeping from the depressed spirit that supposedly haunts this place. A prostitute, they say. She was pregnant, and some John agreed to marry her. Told her he'd leave his wife and meet her here. Then they'd run off and live happily ever after. But he never showed. She couldn't bear it. I can't remember who told me the story or how many times I've heard it, but by now I know it front to back. Poppycock. I've never believed in ghosts, and I'm not about to start. The bath is already starting to get cold, so I run the hot water. <sighs> but it never feels like enough. That's the trouble with these old clawfoot tubs. So hard to keep warm. Every time I get in, the heat quickly fades away. Like someone's dumped a block of ice in here. I freeze. Is that... Is that what I think it is? Crying? No. I'm hearing things again. I must be. I must. I don't believe in ghosts. I don't believe in ghosts. I don't believe in ghosts. Hello? I call out. It stops. I wait, and no one answers. Of course no one answers. There's no one there. I finally breathe a sigh of relief. I even muster an embarrassed laugh. Nothing but a story that's gone to my head. That's all. Poppycock. A fiction. Damn it. My bath. It's cold again. And the water. It's dirty already. Or is it pink? No. Red now. The deep red. Deeper and deeper. What is this? What's happening? I dig through the water to look for the source. Am I hurt? Am I bleeding? And I see it. My wrists. Each cut deep along the length of my arms. 
blood pouring from my flesh like a spout, so much red running down my arms and dripping, all of it dripping, no, dripping onto my stomach, my swollen, engorged stomach sticking out of the water like an island in a red sea. How could this be? Then something wiggles underneath my belly button, and again and again, pushing against the skin stretched over my stomach like a drum. It's trying to get out, trying to escape before it's too late. What's happening to me? Help! I scream out. Help me! Somebody please help me! Who's there? I snap to the bathroom door. It's a woman, in peculiar clothes, watching me with puffy eyes. She stares at me, horrified. I stare back the same way. Who are you? She yells confused. She braces herself against the doorway as if she'd crumble without its support. Who am I, I think? Who is she? Get out, I demand. Get out! And she screams. She screams and screams, and I try to scream back, but I feel so tired. So tired. Everything begins to fade away, fading slowly into nothingness. What a horrible dream, I think to myself as I head to the bathroom wearing my robe. What a wonderful time for a bath. As I step into the bathroom, the tile looks cold, lonely. I reluctantly extend my foot, expecting a shock, but it never comes. Some people just don't know when they're unwanted. Speaking of unwanted, it's time for me to say goodbye. I hope you enjoyed our dead time stories about things out of place. Do come visit me again soon, cadavers. We have many more short, scary stories to share. Sweet dreams, my little cadavers. <laughs> You made it through the night. Congrats. Let's get going before that changes. The six stories you've just heard were written by Patrick LaFoon. You can also find more thrilling tales from Graveyard Shift on Ranker.com, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and other connected TV apps. Tonight's production starred Todd Lights, Ari Eastman, Nicole Villela, Benjamin Apple, Rich Curris, and Dave Baker. With editing by my younger brother, Martin Martinez. I believe you can find your way home from here. Until next time, farewell. Jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.